1: Welcome to The Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone.
2: I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Emmy-nominated soap opera star... Amy Gibson. She's author of Sex, Wigs, and Whispers, Love and Life with Hair Loss. Her book, her new book, Sex, Wigs, and Whispers, is a how-to guide that provides essential, practical, life-saving tips for living with hair loss and keeping your wig a secret in successful dating, sex, and intimacy while building your confidence and self-esteem to live a fulfilling, active life as a vital woman. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Amy. Thank you, Catherine. It's nice to be here. Great to have you. Okay, so hair loss is really devastating for, and I I don't want, I'm speaking probably for most women, I would say. It's a really devastating thing to know that you're losing your hair, and there are all things, all kinds of things associated with it, which of course is what you discuss in your book, but when you, and you yourself have suffered suffered for, I say suffered, you have been a victim of whatever you want, of, of alopecia and lost your hair as well. So first, maybe let's talk about, Amy, what, what are, when we're talking about hair loss, what are the reasons, first of all, besides alopecia for hair loss?
3: I'd love to say breathing, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> it's become a pandemic. You know, I know that after this show, Catherine, when you go to the store, you're going to start noticing how many women have hair loss on top, okay? It's, it's just so common. So let's, let's take it. It can come from low iron. Thyroid conditions, high blood pressure, medicine, stress, 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 and stress. And women have never lived in a more stressful time than they are now, financially and single mothers holding two jobs, etc. You're a social worker; that's your background. I'm sure you'll agree what women go through. Third, uh, let's addi- additionally to that is liver and enzyme problems, and hormonal and menopause, and just name it. I mean, it's just incredible. So, what about the big C?
2: We're talking about cancer, unfortunately, and I know so many And that's where I was
3: going to go next. And then we're talking about cancer therapies like radiation and chemotherapy, which much of the time you get your hair back, but it doesn't always come back in the same way. And there are several times, even though they state, you're going to get a half an inch back every month. My clients, what I've experienced in 16 years of helping women through cancer hair loss, is they don't always get it back in a half inch every month, and I find that to be a a bad expectation to give patients. They'll get it back. It may take a year to year and a half to get your hair back, and sometimes you're left with some patches. You need to know what to do to make it okay for today.
2: Women, okay. Women, I think, and as I said in the very beginning, are, are terrified of losing their hair. What are some of those fears? What is well, you know? What are the major fears for women when it comes whether you know, no matter how they've lost their hair and those. Yeah, are different- no, I,
3: I get it. I hear you. I think the thing that, for me, I'll speak from my behalf first because I started losing it at a young age, but I really lost all of it at thirty, and then only last year did I lose the rest of all my body hair, my eyelashes, my eyebrows. I think the first thing women think is. Oh, my God, I'm going to be so ugly. I'm losing my sensuality. I'm losing my essence. I'm, uh, everyone's going to know. They're going to think I have cancer. Nobody's going to like me. I feel so ugly. I'm going to lose my husband or my partner. All those things go through a woman's head most of the time in a matter of seconds.
2: Well, aren't some of those things legitimate? I mean, absolutely,
3: talk- 100% absolutely. But that what I try to talk about, and talk about in Sex Wigs and Whispers is not sitting in that fear. Let's look at it, and let's be proactive to get out of that. For example, you know, our essence is nothing that anybody can take away or duplicate, whether you have hair or not. But it's very hard to get in touch with that when the rest of us, since we've been a child, have seen Barbie doll, have seen VO5 commercials, right? So I think for the woman that's losing her hair, the one thing that I try to tell them is, okay, let's look at, number one, how's your hormone panel? Try to give her the things that will get a handle on this out-of-control runaway train that, when we're going through it, seems to be very difficult to find answers. That's why I try to say, if you get a hormone panel first, let's find out what the answers are or possibilities of causes are. If it's not alopecia, let's find out what's causing this. If it's not just that you're over 45 and losing some hair with age, well, what else can be done here? That's number one. But I think for women that are going through this, they need to take a breath, they need to say, okay, what can I do in the interim if, if, if I'm not ready for a wig or, or just dealing with today? There are things like, and this is really, really a good thing for women to know about, there's something called topic, T-O-P-P-I-K. Okay, it's sold on the Internet. That will fill in, it's like a little powder that a woman who may be thinning and, and is freaking out and doesn't know where to go yet. This is, this is a quick Band-Aid. Okay, and that will at least cover up that bald spot so nobody's going to see it until she works on herself to get a handle on this and then start doing your research. You can always, you know, call us or whatever and I'll try to help you, but that's the first thing in trying to get a handle on the nerves is, okay, let's find a quick solution right now. What can help me through today?
2: In, in my experience, and my and and with friends who are postmenopausal thinning hair, um, and I'm not sure if it's, it's exactly that product, but maybe other products that do that very thing that you're talking about, sort of cover up the bald spot, which the women who are postmenopausal often get that. I think, um, but that's very different. And I, I just then women, let's say, if you're say if you're postmenopausal and you're you know if. What fifty years old? Then when you described yourself, you were thirty years old. So when you're a young woman and you lose it's your, devastating. it's and devastating. And you haven't been. Let's emotions. get back to the relationship part of it because I know that's what you deal with in your book and your practice every day. But uh, you may have a partner. You may be dating. You know, you don't have a long-standing partner of, of thirty or forty or twenty years who understands who who does love you for who you are and maybe doesn't. See the hair loss, but we're talking kind of sort of very different scenarios, aren't we, if we're talking about... But well,
3: that's why I wrote the book.
2: Yeah. Because yeah, exactly.
3: it takes you through a step-by-step process in several ways. One is, how do you approach this? The way you give out information to somebody is the way they're going to accept it. And if you, if you start to discuss a personal issue like hair loss with somebody, right, and you're completely out of control, that person's going to freak out, especially if it's a partner that's interested in you. However, I believe in getting to know somebody a little bit before you expose your secret to them. I think that our hair loss is a gift and not something to be horribly ashamed of. At the same time, I don't like women to use that as a crutch, as a way of opening up with their mate. Let's talk about my problems. I want them to stay in control and in their power. In the book, I tell you five different, six different ways, including humorous, serious, sensitive, emotional, but emotional with a a cap on it. And how to approach somebody to get the absolute most optimum success of what you want and still hold on to your power, still be considered beautiful both from your eyes and theirs.
2: Yeah. Let's Can we get specific? Let's say you have a partner, you're young, you're 30 years old and you've been dating right. and you've lost your hair either to, I mean, I, I think chemo may be different because that's a different issue because maybe you will get your hair back at some time, but a permanent hair loss. And and what t- when do you tell a partner? When do you... Tell somebody that you're dating, that you have a wig on, that, you, that it's not your own hair. I mean,
3: there is, there is a, a few approaches that people believe, and I only believe in one. I believe that you need to know somebody first for a little bit before you do that, like I just said. So I believe in dating somebody for at, at least a month or two, or where you feel that that person and you've connected to them on more of a soul level instead of just a dating how are you have drinks level. And there are a couple of ways. If the person has a good sense of humor and you know that you've broken ground, you've discussed some other sensitive things, and there's a real trust kind of developing, and you don't want to be somebody that you're not anymore with this person, you could say, so let me ask you something. Are you like, do you like brunettes? Do you like blondes, redheads? Like, what's your favorite? Are you a tushy person? Or, you know, what's what's your favorite part of the body? Do you like eyes? And they'll go, oh, you know, I love hair. They'll always say, I love hair. And I'll say, really? Let me ask you something. What do you think of mine? And they'll go, what? And I said, and this is when I was wearing a wig, I would say, what do you think of it? I'd say, well, it's really beautiful. And I'd say, really? Because you can have it because you don't have any. That's not a problem, is it? With a smile, if you want to be funny, and believe me, these are all things that I've used that have worked. You may go, what are you talking about? But it works with the right person. Before that, but you have to be in control of your elevator speech and how you feel emotionally. Most women will wait for a time when they know there's that moment, maybe a month into the relationship where they've dated them at least eight times, nine times, and they'll say, listen, I just want to talk to you about something. Uh, I have some stuff going on with my hair. They, if they're not really sure of... They want to get sensitive, but they're not really how sure how far to get sensitive with this person. I'll often tell them that they had some hair treatments done. Their hair is really sensitive right now, so they, I'd rather they don't touch my hair at the moment. If they're okay with it, I just come out and say, listen, you know what? I'm having some hair issues right now. I absolutely am wearing these fabulous wigs and love them. Do you not love my hair? It's twisting it. It's turning their perspective. So that person is still looking at you in a way that's not this falling apart victim. Because unfortunately, until men get to know you, they'll run from that. Yeah, that was the my w- next
2: question. Yeah, Amy, I want to talk to you. I want to let I want to discuss that. Did that answer your question? Well, that answers that question. But I think part of it is that's assuming that you want to continue and have a a, a long standing. Re- Relate, or relation, ongoing relationship with this person, right? But, you know, in this day and age, women don't necessarily wait, uh, you know, weeks and weeks or months, let's say, to have sex with somebody. So let's say they want to continue their normal pattern of, let's say, sexual behavior. I, and, I, and they're I'm, wearing a wig. And they're, and they're wearing, wearing a wig. wig. What do they say? You know, don't right. touch. I'll tell you don't. exactly
3: what to do. First of all, you've got to make sure that your wig stays on. So you want to use something like double-stick wig tape where there's no hair or clips. And if you have to shave a little bit on the sideburns to make sure it holds on and you get some fabulous tape and there's wig tape, they can call me, they can go online, that tape will stay on during sex or anything. I make something called the water wig tape, which you can actually swim in. But there's a lot of wig tape out there that women can buy. That's one thing, to make sure that you're secure. So if you need to twitch your head around, if you're going to go into a convertible, though, I always say bring a hat. Because the front of the wig will lift up. So, if you are going to be intimate with somebody and you're going in and you're going to be on a ride or whatever else you're going to be doing, then at least cover that up. But if you're going to be intimate, you make sure that piece is down with either clips that are put into a wig, and I write about it in the book, or tape.
2: All right, you're considered the voice of women's hair loss, you are the voice. And maybe I didn't mention this before because I want—I uh, I do want to mention it because of your credibility, one of the leading hair loss consultants and innovative wig designers in the United States. So, and, and CreativeHair.com, I guess is that's the online yeah, Creative yeah. Create yeah. Mm-hmm. So. In, in your experience, I mean, you make these, I'm, you make, and I've seen you online, you make these, you have, a wig, you have a wig on yourself, and I assume there's a whole group of wigs that you probably wear, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, and, and looks look, you, look, you look beautiful. But Thank you. you are be- but you are beautiful. You're the kind of person not, who, without the wig, is going
3: to look gorgeous.
2: Now, most of us are not going to look like you. I, I well, I like
3: appreciate you. that, but that doesn't mean I feel that way, just so you know that.
2: Because okay. when and I've lost my
3: happens. eyebrows and eyelashes and I wake up in the morning, believe me, there are times I feel like an alien. So that doesn't always exist. But with wigs, yes, I feel I look very beautiful. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Okay. You do look beautiful. And I I think I'm sure you look beautiful with just bald. You look gorgeous as well. Thank but, you. Okay. So what do we do? What is, you know, the average person who doesn't necessarily and you feel so good about themselves maybe isn't I don't like to say not that attractive, but certainly doesn't look like you. You do look like a uh, an actress. Uh, you are an actress. We don't all look uh, as stunning as you do. So, what do we do? I mean, I mean, how do you work with with sort of the average person?
3: Oh. Well, First of all, every woman's different. And when I work with somebody, I first work at, I look at their symmetry, which is the most important thing about making a wig. Most people overcompensate and get so much hair it looks like they're wearing a helmet, and then somebody walks up and goes, oh, my God, like I love that wig. What I want them to say to that person is, wow, did you go want to, like, a weight program? Or did you change the color? I mean, you look amazing. You look healthy. That's when you do a wig correctly. For the woman who wants to go out bald or just wants to go out in a scarf, let's talk about that for a moment. Lips, lips, and lips. Lips are the key to bringing your face alive if you're going to be walking out with just a scarf. If you're going to be getting a wig, never buy a wig. And look at that color in the inside of the shop. It's the biggest mistake women make. You give them your license. You say, excuse me, do you mind if I step outside with a wig and a mirror? This is the biggest, biggest mistake women make. It's the biggest mistake they make in Nordstrom's and some of the stores when they buy to, want to buy makeup. And they don't go outside to see natural light. And they go home and they go, what happened? My blush is different. My my, my moisturizer, my, my tincture doesn't, you know, my, my foundation doesn't look right. So for the woman who is working with, Maybe a larger nose or maybe smaller eyes. Layers and making that face shine with her with her cheekbones and where her structure is is the key not having too much hair is the key to looking natural when people when i work with people 45 percent of the women that i work with Catherine, i never meet i work off of their picture literally we blow it up we blow it up nine by eleven i send them caps and colors we do skyping and i do that three hours a day five days a week other than the people that i see here and in the hospital there's a real key to it so for the woman that's struggling with trying to look her best Know that two things. If you're just starting to lose your hair, cut a little piece off of it so you remember the color you love. Because after it's gone, you won't remember it. And it's going to look different in a photo. Okay, so put that in a little plastic bag and say, I really want to match this color, and this is the way I looked in this photo. That's very important for women to feel like who they were before.
2: You have, I want to mention this because you have two innovative kinds of. Uh, wigs, I guess, or combinations of wigs. First of all, you have a wig that you can wear when you're swimming, and then you have wigs that you have what you call the R E S Q R-E-S-Q bag, which uh, is a combination of a lot of different kinds of
3: wigs. Uh, that, that no, the rescue bag is the first. It's R E S Q bag. Thank you. Is the first wig and carry all extension. I mean wig <laughs> carry all extensions carry-all for wigs and extensions, it's actually sexy and discreet and looks like a, like a regular bag, but inside is a wig bag you can carry your wig in with all the things you need, whether it's your comb, your brush, your clips, your headband, shampoo, everything you need with you for a wig emergency. But this way, you're not carrying your wig in a plastic bag that everybody can see. You're not carrying it in an obvious wig box. And my whole thing is about what I do for women is giving them those products so they can keep their discretion and their secret but still rock out and still look fabulous. without you
2: Amy, be, be proud of the wigs, like, okay, here's, you have this great wig bag. Maybe you should have, like, if you can. I know they're fairly expensive, but...
3: No, they're uh, not. They're, they're $59. $59. Okay. For $59. everything. That's two bags and a wig bag. Wigs are different. Um, the water wig, the swim wigs that we do will start at $1,000, and they're all hand-tied and lace. My human hair will go up from that and they're all well done by hand. It's different. We're, you can't buy anything online. We work with you individually each person. It's a very different approach. It's what nobody did for me 25 years ago and I thought when I opened my company, I'm going to make sure that clients get that one-on-one so they understand what they're purchasing. It's an investment. It's not just something you're buying. It's some, It's an extension of yourself. It's like lips and, lipstick and heels. It becomes a part of you. So learn to make it a part well, to do would you
2: say make it a part of you, that's, I guess that's my point, like you can like have so many wigs and wear different kinds of wigs for different moods, for different events, for those. If
3: people. somebody wants to do that, most women, just if they're really going through hair loss, they want to stay the way they looked before, but maybe just a little bit better, but they're not into really going from blonde to brunette, and they're not really go- into going from long to short, you can later after your first wig, but in the beginning, I believe, let's, let's make you look like you and stay consistent so you look in the mirror and feel like you, get used to the wig, get used to playing with it and being an extension of yourself and how to work with it so it's a part of you and make it comfortable so you can have it on your head eight or nine or ten hours and not want to rip it off your head because it's cheap and not made well get something that's right, and then you can move into all the other games you want to play and all the other fun stuff. But I believe in the beginning for a woman to stay in her power, she's got to stay to, pretty close to what she looks like, but a little better hair than what she's had. So
2: it's in stages sort of, uh, you know, developmental stages as social workers would probably explain them. I mean, at first you have to be, accept the fact that you accept your hair loss and then you go from there and you may evolve as you're saying. Yes, you want to then at first probably have a wig that looks exact or looks as similar or exactly like your own hair and then maybe you can go off and, and, and experiment I guess is what I would say. What about wigs? Women that I know who have had to wear wigs for, let's say, chemotherapy for cancer one of the biggest complaints is it, they're so hot. They are really
3: hot. That's right, big, exactly. And I've, my specialty has been cancer hair loss for 16 years. And don't ask me why I'm so drawn to it, but I am. And I work at Cedars for 15, the hospital here as well. And the one thing, this, there's another thing that happens with cancer patients that's never talked about. And their heads are extremely sensitive. They're hypersensitive. They're itchy. Even if they were wearing a scarf, they feel hot. So my pieces are made and weigh less than three ounces. If you hold them up to a light and you would look at them from the inside, you'd be able to see through them. If you can't see through your wig, you shouldn't be buying it because if you can't see through it, you can't breathe through it. So everything I do is extremely light because chemotherapy releases itself through perspiration and urine, and you perspire through your head. It's got to have a place to go. You've got to have a breathable, you've got to be able to see the scalp. You want to see the part. You want to be believable, but you have to be breathable.
2: All right, so we're talking about, and I'm really surprised when you say, and I think maybe you should reiterate this. I mean, your wigs are—you said fifty-nine dollars. I mean, no, I didn't say my wigs were. The wig bag was fifty-nine dollars. I was going to say the wig because uh, that I—I I, I was confused about that because a, a good wig. Well, how much is? I mean, a, a good our wigs
3: much? for for human hair will start in premium European. Which is a very big difference because it's the top of the line and it's made in a different fashion by hand, so all the hair is in the right direction, doesn't get tangled, doesn't fall out of the piece. They'll start at 2,000 and go as high as 6,500 or 75 if they're long. Blonde, anywhere you get blonde hair, it's going to be more expensive. That's just because blonde hair is more expensive to do. So that's the range in human hair. And the book really explains the differences. I went into great extent to explain it so when somebody's going shopping on their own, they're going to know what not to buy and the right things that they should get and what they should be paying, what's fair. So inexpensive synthetic wigs should all have a monofilament top. If you can't afford expensive wig, it's okay. But you want one at least that's breathable. You want one that shows a part. You can get them for a couple of hundred dollars. And maybe you may have to switch them out a few times during the year or a couple of times during the year. We will also put a lining into that wig for you by hand if you want to make it more comfortable, especially for my cancer patients. I have a cancer wig line that I do specifically, that's made very differently. But for women that can't afford thousands of dollars, there are wonderful wigs out there for less than 500 If you read the book, you'll know what to buy and what not to buy so that you'll find what you need within the price range that you can afford. But at least it will be correct for you.
2: What about women who can't afford it. Are there any, I mean, because this is sort of a, it really should be part of, you know, you talk about you're, you're very interested in, in cancer care and cancer patients and stuff. It seems to me that could really be part of the cancer treatment because if you feel good about yourself and you have high feelings of self-esteem and all those kinds of things, that really helps in terms of, of how well you do in terms of treatment and, and having a wig and feeling good about yourself uh, is kind of key to that.
3: Catherine, I wish I could record you and play to the insurance companies. I spoke, I spoke in front of the Sacramento Congress up there this, in, in five years ago in front of seven senators to try to get them to understand how important it is for more insurance companies to pay more than $300 in reimbursement. Some of them don't pay at all. Some of them will pay more. If you have a government job, if you're a teacher, um, you do get more for your benefits. And I absolutely 100% have said openly in legislation and some of the other things that I've done that it has to do with the women who get a wig, the difference is they want to work harder and they want to fight harder to beat that disease to stay here. But if you take away her self-esteem and you leave her without her dignity, then she's not going to fight that disease in the level that she's going to fight it usually. And that's what I've noticed. They'll fight this disease harder. They'll be stronger along the way if they feel like the woman they have always been.
2: And I think you don 't necessarily even have to have cancer, I mean you could take it a step further if you whatever your condition is that caused you to you 're going to do better at work you 're going to do better with your employees you 're going to do better at business you 're going to have better relationships uh, that all t- it ties in really with everything if if, if you have good feelings of self esteem and feel and feel good about yourself so um it really is critical it 's really important I, I I mean we only have three minutes left, so I was going to you know I, with men, it's hair pieces and those kinds of things is very different. And I think that it's a, a very different situation with men than it is with women. But um,
3: yes and yes. no to that. But that's okay. What? I think they have an easier time. But I certainly have seen I, there are many men that I know that have absolutely fallen apart when they've lost their hair. Um, but go on.
2: What are we talking example. about in terms of numbers with women? Do you know? sixty you know million
3: women? Over 60 million women in the U.S. are currently dealing with hair loss, be it from any medical condition and alopecia, which hits about 5% of Americans per year. I think it's going up now. But you said a question before about where can a woman, if she can't afford a wig, and I want to go back to that. Um, There are grants that the National Alopecia Areata Foundation, NAAF.org, do and give out for those with alopecia. There's the American Cancer Society that will give away wigs. If you get a wig and it's itchy, then call me. I will put the lining in for you. It's the minimal, minimal cost to do it, but you'll get the wig free from American Cancer Society. There are those people that will help those pe- that, that will help people that cannot afford a wig. We have a charity that I've been raising money on. called Created Hair for Good. I give away a certain amount of wigs per month and per quarter. I am not available to give away hundreds of thousands, of course, but we try to help what we can. So there are those. There are those outlets there. Great.
2: It's been great talking to you today. Very interesting topic, and I have to say I learned a lot. Uh, sex, Wigs, and Whispers, Love and Life with Hair Loss. That's Amy Gibson. Amy, just give us the website that we can go to for more information.
3: Sure. Yeah, you can find the book on Amazon.com, or you can also look up Created, C-R-E-A-T-E-D, Hair.com, and the rescue bag is resq and I do appreciate all your wonderful work that you've done. For
2: women, especially. We're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a
3: minute. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit
1: VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to The Catherine Zok Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788.
2: We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is author Rosie Maloney, author of Girl Unbroken, a sister's harrowing story of survival from the streets of Long Island to the farms of Idaho. Now, she's co-written her book with her sister, it's a, and it's a, a memoir. Uh, she and her sister were five kids with five different fathers and an alcoholic mother who left them to fend for themselves for weeks at a time. Yet through it all, they had each other. Rosie, the youngest, is spawned over and shielded by her older sister, Regina. Their mother, Cookie, blows in and out of their lives like a hurricane, blind and uncaring to everything in her path. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Rosie.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, that's quite a story. Uh, it's it's uh, a story, unfortunately, I think that probably millions of kids in our country today uh, have a, a very similar story. And uh, so I think, you, obviously, by writing your book, you can uh, lend some insight to actually what happens to, to kids in, in this kind of a situation. So it's a memoir. So uh, let's start with this. And you wrote this book with your sister. Um, what I mean, what was the challenge in writing this book? I mean, it sound uh, what happened to you was so painful. Maybe we should talk about what happened to you and, and all of the pain and the abuse that you did endure uh, from your mother and from your whole family situation.
4: It was, um, so starting at a very young age, not only did we have to defend or fend for ourselves for living situations for basic needs as electricity, uh, shelter, food, um, but it was for our own life. Our our life preservers was all that was around. And for the first part of my life it was my sisters, my siblings who saved me. However, when we were separated from them, my brother and I were separated from my older siblings, um, we were put in a foster home that turned out to be very abusive. Um my mother just so you my were brother separated and
2: because your mother was so abusive and you had and she was had uh, she, what, she was an alcoholic, addiction problems, beat you, all, you and all your siblings, and it was your older sister who called the authorities. Am I correct?
4: That is correct. Yeah. And she had actually, um, well, in fact, we had decided to keep a pact to not say anything, and it was the teachers that had discovered the abuse, the marks on her body from the beating that separated us and she she finally divulged the truth about our living situation and our mother and the abuse and the lengths and miles of the abuse that had gone. And in the early 70s, mental illness wasn't diagnosed, so she self-medicated with drugs and alcohol, and and we were convenient. So she couldn't not only take care of herself, but then she couldn't take care of five kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and through all that time, once we were in that awful foster home, My brother and I were um, kidnapped from my mother and taken cross-country to Idaho, and during that whole adventure, she had found multiple men in various situations, continually went back to her drinking and alcohol and, and drugs and abuse and the so same how, old,
2: were you, how old how old were you and your brother at the time i mean you're going cross country with this alcoholic abusive mother who's mentally ill you've been taken kidnapped from a foster home um, and you're saying this was in the 70s what did you do to survive how old were you i mean the, when when this actually happened
4: um, when we were kidnapped we were when we were taken from the foster home i was 8 um, we Hid from the authorities for about two years on Long Island, all across um, New York, and hid in various places. sometimes we were permitted to go to school, sometimes we weren't um, for a while. We were actually in hiding and um, because my mother was wanted. she had so many warrants from her um it, it was really bad, so she kept continually hiding, and when I was 10, when we finally were taking out, taken out of the state, we would just take any scraps of what she did. Sometimes we would go through McDonald's drive through and she would have a dollar or two because she would still get her welfare benefits, even though um, she couldn't take care of us. She used the money for her purposes, but was still too put out to buy us all a meal. So my brother and I shared fries and she had gotten a full meal or would go to KFC and get a whole bucket and she would give us a piece of chicken or sometimes we wouldn't have anything and we would sleep behind a grocery store in a car and we would wait until the bakery trucks come first thing in the morning, typically four or 5 a.m. And we would sneak one of them and, and eat them all and find another place to sleep for a little while. But it was a continual process of trying to fend for ourselves. And when my brother and I were alone, my mother, that was the least of her her concerns was what my brother and I would do. She would give us some money if she had gotten her welfare check. She would give us a 10 and say, go play at the video parlor. And we'd play video games for a period of time and sleep outside the bar.
2: Well, what happened now? Because we're talking about uh, school, for instance. What about school? Did you go to school? Were you in school? Did the authorities know about what was happening to you? Um, Or, you know, were you kind of dodging the bullet with your mother uh, taking you from one place to the next? Or what happened? Uh,
4: So while we were in New York, are you, um, so while we were in New York, we would go from place to place, and when we were in school, we would try and stay quiet, and we weren't, when we would share our stories, and people would recognize that there was abuse, they would say, Hey, what's going on, and social services would come in, we would remove us from our mom, and then we would be put in foster homes. And with five of us together, sometimes we were, put all together, but most often we were separated, and we decided that we wanted to be with the devil we did know, as opposed to the devils we didn't know, because in foster homes, sometimes in some of these places, bad things would happen to us individually, and we had a pact for a long time that we would rather stay together, and if we stayed together, at least we could go to school, we would have um, consistent temperature control climate, we'd have lunch every day, um, we would have books, and we could read, and we could lift us, lift ourselves up and over and, and try to be the most positive we could be, and my older sisters were positive influences and try to keep us, our head at least, so that we could breathe. And, and you're and talking so sometimes about system, uh, Rose,
2: I want to interrupt you, Rosie, you're talking about a system that was uh, is broken or was broken. Now is the same system today as you see it. Um, is the foster care system have we improved? Is are things better than they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or, or just we are on the same trajectory? I mean, are children suffering in the same way today as you and your siblings did, uh, you know, many uh, a long time ago, actually?
4: So that's a two part question. One is has the foster care system improved and and I think I think it has where I live I live in Salt Lake City Utah and there are tremendous amount of people that are so kind and loving and giving and would do anything for you to be a foster parent and there are many and Regina has actually helped that increase the trend where people are actually becoming foster parents due to Etch and Sand and the popularity of it and and the outreach and the impact they can have on children's lives. And and so, yes, I think it's changing tremendously, but there are also those that want the paycheck. And so I think in any profession, no matter what job you have, it's either a job you really love or a job that you clock in. And caseworkers, teachers, um, foster parents, um, garbage workers, i mean any any profession now you can say, Do I really love my job and do I really want to make a difference or I mean and case workers, I think, is a great position to where you can change kids life if you really wanted to, you can impact so many people.
2: And then well, see, she, you and your sister Regina, the older sister, You, you're, she's the oldest, you're the youngest, and, and you, obviously you're the two who co-authored this book, and you've taken uh, similar, well, I'd say different paths. She's a, a corporate attorney in New York City, and you, um, and just looking at your resume, you are so involved in, in, in just so many not-for-profits that have to do with uh, uh have to do with children and 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 their well being. So uh, it, it's interesting that you've sort of taken different paths, passionate about both, but um, and been able to, to to do to sort of fulfill this need for um, for caring for children, making sure that they are cared for in the right way. I mean, you've got a, a list here of of uh, I don't have to go through them, but um, and obviously it's I assume it's related to you and your sisters. Uh, experience what what you and and your sister Regina um, how close are you now how was that a bonding experience for you how close yeah you know, it would seem to me that what the two of you went through together would be uh, would have a, a bonding experience uh, because you're writing a, a similar story that you shared together a horrific story
4: yes yeah, and in fact that most of the story in Girl Unbroken she didn't even know until she didn't know the depth of the abuse until we had encountered until we embarked on this journey of writing this book together and luckily with her being she's actually um 10 years older than me or actually my oldest sister is 10 years older and Regina is only six so she's the middle child of the five and we've all gotten so close together but especially regina and i we are so close, so incredibly close now than we ever have and and the passion is interesting because i I love I'm so passionate, as you can tell by even the resume. my volunteer I love love working with kids, and I realize I work on the positive side of it because knowing that the impact those volunteer experiences, those um, organizations, the groups, the um, where they have youth. You can have such a positive influence on a child's life in such a small amount. You should never underestimate the power a small, positive experience can have on a child because it really changed mine. It changed mine when I was in high school, and that's the only thing that kept me afloat was school and those teachers, librarians, bus drivers that really helped me. But it has, this, this book has really gotten my sister and I so close, very close together.
2: I think uh, what you say is, you know, the people don't underestimate, each one of us don't underestimate uh, the impact that we can have on a child who's had such an abusive relationship as you. Because today we talk about very often, you know, how important parenting is for your children to turn out well. And if you're a good parent, your children will turn out well. And I think about, and and probably uh, you and your sister would be an example of this, you had terrible parenting, the worst that you can get. And then look how both of you turned out so positively, so it has to come from, it comes. It can come from somewhere else.
4: It can, absolutely and from within, I mean there's enough life preservers in the world and there's enough resources, you can, absolutely and when I had my first child, I was scared to death when I found out I was pregnant not only was the torment, the abuse on my body broke down in every facet and where I had health issues constantly, but when I became a parent, when I became pregnant, that's when it all magnified, and I was petrified, but now my oldest is 18, I have a 15-year-old and a 10-year-old, and they're fantastic, and I can't imagine, I can't even comprehend hurting children. I just, as a parent, and it is difficult overcoming all of it, but like you said, it's true, you can overcome and it's becoming so common. There's so many kids out there suffering from the same things, and, but there's resources. There's resources. There's uh, great people, um, positive influences. There's options for you to not seek negative things in your life. There's always such great options out there. There really are. It's just being able to reach out and ask for help.
2: Rosie, do you ever think about, I guess I have two questions, like when you're raising your own children, you have three boys?
4: I have uh, two boys, my oldest and youngest, and a girl.
2: Two boys and a girl. Uh, When you are, you know, when you're raising your own children, it would seem to me, and I'm trying to kind of, in terms of like what you've written in the book and having talked to you today, like you feel all the good things that you do for, let's say, your own children, does it give you sometimes a sense of loss about what you didn't have with your own mother or your own father, like all the things and, and you mentioned your husband and, um, you know, your proud parents and you do all the good stuff that 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 it rekindles some of that pain?
4: I, you know, I had realized I struggled, even when my mom beat me all the time, When from 10 up to 17, she continually beat me, but I always clung on to that little bit of hope that she loves me. She must love me because she says it every now and then. Maybe she's confused on how to show it. And so that loss, up until her time of her death of 1999, I still wanted a mom. I always, you always want your mom because you always think no matter how old you are, you always want your mom to be with you. And I never shook that. I always wanted her. However, when I became a mom, I realized I looked at my kids like they were, like I was them at their age, and I treated them like I wanted to be loved. I wanted to just be loved and have structure, and I've given them everything that I would have wanted at that age. And so it doesn't hurt me. It it hurt me for the loss that I never had, But, but she did the best she could because she didn't know how to be a mom she didn't know how because how if you have kids how could you do that how could you so even I
2: can't I mean, even talk them. about her mental illness which of course mental illness i'm sure played obviously a big part in this have you forgiven her
4: absolutely absolutely i have forgiven her many times over and even my stepdad i've forgiven all of them because it it releases me from it not them it, it Takes the control out of them and gives it back to me once I forgive. And for me, it was, it was essential that I have forgiven them years ago. And I, I, really am in a good place with them, even talking about my mom. I mean, of course, I always wanted a mom, but, but I'm, I'm grateful for what I had gone through because I am the kind of mom I am now because what I had gone through.
2: How much do you share or how much have you shared because your your children well, you have an eighteen year old, but how much have you ch- shared with them along the way in terms of your own experiences? Um, do you you know other, uh, I guess that that is the question, and and maybe it's different for each one of your kids.
4: The older ones, they know a lot more than my younger one when it came to fruition that this book was going to happen. I started sharing more and more, and and their perspective was, "Oh, mom, you're the worst mom ever." And whew, you know, <laughs> and I find it comical because they have no idea, and they think because they have chores and and they don't get the Cap'n Crunch cereal, they have to have Rice Krispies instead. I mean, that's a horrible parent. I mean, mom, you're not letting me go to a party on Friday night or whatever. I mean, it's all relative, but. Now they know what it means to be a bad parent and, and the abuse you can uh, inflict upon a person. It's, it's heartbreaking, and they would never... They're so grateful that they have the mom that they do, and, and they know... My older ones know a lot more the depths, but, um, but they, they are very grateful as well. And I realize I want them to be, because life could be so much worse and their perspective in, in, in reality of what life really is and what their friends go through. I mean, all of them, we all have friends, and there's kids that need positive influences, and I've seen my kids reach out to their friends that need good people in their life, positive role models, positive influences. Any kind of positive reinforcement they can have is so much better.
2: What about your sister? I mean, I know just, uh, you know, if I need support, emotional support, I often call my girl. I don't have a sister, but I'll call my girlfriends. Uh, I will call my mother. Uh, do you call her? I mean, do you have that special connection? Like if you were really feeling bad because, you know, of that, that closeness that you have with her, that she's, you pick up the phone and she's the one you connect
0: to? Um, to my sister? Yeah.
4: Yeah, and and the nice thing is that, all of us are that way now, all of the siblings and even my brother we 're all very close we are, and when we 're excited about a moment or something fantastic is happening, we do reach out to our sisters and our siblings now because they are that person to call and to talk to and when everything new is happening it 's exciting because we 've been without our out without each other in our lives for such a long time. We're so grateful for the time that we do have, and we want to capitalize on any moment that we have. In fact, this weekend at our at the book launch for Girl Unbroken, all the siblings and all of the cousins will be together, which will be the first time in our entire lives that everybody will be together.
2: So where are you all going to be for the book launch?
4: Um, in Long Island, at Laurel Lakes, New York.
2: Oh, I, I imagine that's going to be a... You... Laughing and crying and everything in between. If uh, This is the first time we've all been together, right? Uh, Yeah,
4: it's going to be fantastic.
2: And and does that include all the kids, too? I mean, all the children, the extended family, everybody?
4: Yeah, yeah. It's going to be the first time all of us have been together. All the nephews and nieces. And, yeah, it's going to be fantastic. We're so excited.
2: So, you know, we have a few minutes left. So, just the book in terms of its, I imagine, you. Know, I always, when I interview people who do memoirs, there is something I assume cathartic about doing it, uh, writing a memoir, and also writing it with your sister in this case. But uh, did, did you, was, was that the case for you? Would you say that the end result with writing this is sort of tying everything together? Yes.
4: Yeah. And um, the end result is tying everything together and really to show that a sister bonds or sibling bonds and. Really helped us through this, but more so that everybody can find a way out of their darkness from they can find the light within any piece of darkness because again there's positive influences and you should never underestimate that power of a positive impact um, but we're just so grateful that this book is coming out and it can it's already affected so many people already and it hasn't been released yet so many have messaged me to show that they they've never told their story, and they're fifty plus years old, and and that to me is a victory. It's Really amazing.
2: I mean, you you've done a great job not only with your family. I mean, I mean that's that, all of that, and and having such a wonderful family, your three kids, your husband, um, and the positive impact that you have on them, obviously. But I think that that uh, statement, the power of positive impact, and I think sometimes we get lost. We we don't we don't we don't realize our own power, I guess. I mean, and what we can do and how we can influence other people uh in in a positive way, even given something someone like you who've had this like just, you know, I, I keep I say the word horrendous, but really terrible, terrible uh childhood. And and then look what you've done and been able to do. So um you know, it's great. It's phenomenal. So, we, uh, we want to, uh, websites that uh, listeners can go to, girlunbroken.com, obviously, is one of them, and then mm-hmm. there's a Facebook page as well, too, a Girl Unbroken Facebook page.
4: Yes, Girl Unbroken Facebook, um, and there's events across the country. Um, we're starting, obviously, in New York and Utah, however, radio um, book clubs, We have news stories. We have interviews happening. Um, if there's any book, if there's any book clubs or groups or organizations, even schools I'm starting to speak with the first part of the year, please reach out, email me at any of those websites. Um, we'd be happy to have a conversation and dialogue as far as how I can help you get the message across and maybe do an author talk or a book signing or just do a speaking engagement.
2: Great. Well, I wish you all the best, and uh, you, uh, you are doing good work. Rosie Maloney, and the title of her book is Girl Unbroken, A Sister's Harrowing Story of Survival from the Streets of Long Island to the Farms of Idaho. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning.
4: Thanks for having me, Catherine. Thank you so much.
2: Uh, We're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Wednesday.
1: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific time on The Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Katherine Zox.